0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute. And this is the podcast that helps you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. This is episode number 151. And this week, I interview Claire Chandler and Ben Baker. Uh, Ben's background is in creating a, uh, creating brands for yourself and for your company. And then Claire, she started out in human resources, but she's kind of spent the last few years helping companies attract high-level employees and and retain them. But the topic they wanted to cover on this session though is a little bit different. It was, it's about how to communicate more effectively in this new world that we all live in full of stress and uncertainty. And uh, so basically what we do is we talk about recovering from COVID. Well, I mean helping your business <laughs> recover from COVID anyway. Um, so let's, it's lots of great information. You're really going to enjoy the session. So let's get on with it everybody welcome back to fearless presentations i got a couple of special guests with me today ben baker and claire chandler they are the authors of a fantastic book that just came out because you just wrote it right so called leading beyond a crisis so this is one of the this is one of the the better books that i've come in contact with about the the um uh, the COVID crisis and how to deal with it how to come out of this thing on top so so they're here to talk about their new book, Leading Beyond a Crisis. And so Ben, kind of tell us about, about yourself and about the book.
2: Yeah, I mean, Doug, first of all, thanks for having us on. You know, we've had a great conversation off air. The, you know, let me start talking about myself first really short conversation. I've been in the communications game for over 25 years. I started off killing trees about 25 years ago. I was in the direct mail business. Right. And I got really quickly to understand that, you know, there's so many companies out there that are reactive in their marketing. They're reactive in their advertising, they're reactive in their in their marketing, and they don't understand their brand. And because of that, I really got into helping companies understand, codify, and communicate their brand effectively. And within the last six and seven years, we've been working with companies internally because as good as companies may be at communicating their value externally, they're horrific at doing it internally. People don't understand the purpose of the company, the vision, the mission, the value of the company, and they don't know how to tell their story effectively. So I really work with a lot of companies to help them do that and so i'll pass off to claire you know to say hello and then we can get in the book nice
1: sounds great great handoff as always ben uh doug thank you for having us i'm claire chandler and uh i have uh, about 25 or so years of experience as well ben always likes to say that i started at age four so uh very very kind of him but uh not quite true but but it feels all right six (laughs) (laughs) so and i always like to say that i am a corporate survivor. So I spent uh, close to 20 years in corporate roles, um, you know, learning a lot and gaining a great deal of experience. And then I went out on my own and I specialize in helping companies build more confident leaders so that they can rally the right people around them to achieve a shared mission.
0: Nice. Good deal. Perfect. Well, I'm Glad to have the two of you on it senses, a lot of times, you know, what we're focusing on here on fearless presentations is how to communicate effectively and reduce nervousness and that kind of thing. And a lot of times folks will hear folks like, like yourself, the, the, the listeners will hear folks like yourself and they'll say, God, they sound really good and they're awesome. And man, I, man if I could just be like that, Ben, if I could just be like that, Claire. So I'm assuming somewhere along the way. When you guys were just starting out, I know Claire. I think your background was in HR, right? So somewhere along yeah. the way, you probably got thrown up in front of a group because somebody didn't show up, and you had to wing it and some and kind of figure it out. So uh, not to you know bring up bad memories or anything, but it, do either of you guys have any kind of horror stories about how you know the, those things that occurred when you were learning how to be a good communicator before you actually became the fantastic communicator that you are today?
2: Well, I mean, I've been I've been up on stage a decade now, at least, maybe longer. And when you first start off, you're speaking to 10 people. Right. You you know, and you get up in a room and you're, you're speaking to 10 people. And the key thing is is you're excited about speaking to 10 people then. You know, they're not paying you. They might have paid for your lunch. Right. But, you know, maybe they paid for your parking. And you get to a point where, you, you know, your first few times you're up on stage you're terrible you truly are you're nervous you're sweating uh you really don't know how to tell a story effectively you don't understand who your audience is you don't understand you know what are the things that are going to make you valuable to them and you know things that they should walk away with and that takes time and a lot of people get up there and say well i'm a subject matter expert i can run a powerpoint i can you know i can talk well yeah, we all could talk. The question is, can you get people to listen? Sure. And, and I will tell you something, you know, the, the more I do this, the more I sit there and go, OK, this is about my audience. This is not about me. Yeah, you know, this is absolutely not about me. And my question is every single time and it can be six months before I'm on stage somewhere. I'm talking to the show organizer and say, who are the people in the audience? What do they care about? What are the problems that they have? What are they trying to get out of this conference or this event or whatever, and be able to move forward? Because if you're not doing that, if you're going up and you're giving the same presentation over and over again, that's audience deaf, is what I like to call it. Right. Nine times out of ten, you're just going to fall flat, because every single audience is different, every single group is different, and you if you don't understand that, you're going to communicate to different people different ways. You are. You're gonna fall flat and trust me. Starting off, that's exactly what I did.
0: Right. I, I think that's one of the major things that we kind of get across in our in our when we're training people in presentations is that the more that we focus on the audience and the less we focus on on ourselves, the less nervous we become. That's where almost all public speaking fear comes from. Me focusing on me and not on who I'm communicating with. I think the very best speakers in the in 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 the world are the ones that that want so badly for the people in their audience to totally understand the concept that they're they're trying to get across to them. They, if they do that, they turn into a pretty good speaker, no matter what their their skill level or training is. So any any uh any uh, addition to that, Claire? You know, one of those. Yeah, boy, you know
1: I, I knew I had arrived as a speaker when I got to a conference and the organizer did pay me for parking uh, for the parking right. fee. So yeah, that was that was sort of the you know we get to a certain plateau in your in your speaking career, right? Um, but you know, early in my career as just you know Jane employee, I was scared to death of public speaking, like most people, right? I think it's something like seventy five percent of of humans fear public speaking. It's like it, it outranks death, right? <laughs> um, right? It outranks uh, fear of flying and all of those things. Um, and you know, fast forward to now, and public speaking is my adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I find From the very first time I had to get up, you know, Doug, to your point of being thrown into the mix at the last minute because a speaker bailed out or you're brought into a meeting and you need to say some words to a packed room, Um, even from the beginning and even now, I still get nervous before I go on. Um, You know, a, a, a very good leader that I admire greatly said to me once, if you're not nervous before you go in front of an audience with your message, then you really need to check yourself. Um, because it is a deeply personal experience, right? And it, and it is deeply vulnerable. And I think one of the great myths that people have to get over in terms of dealing with their anxiety with public speaking is that there's anyone in the audience with a crate full of rotten tomatoes just <laughs> right. waiting for you to fail, right? Um, right. And, and you need to acknowledge, unless you're in politics, and we're not going to go there. right? But generally speaking, when you're going to do a, a public address of some sort, the audience came there not to watch you fail. They came there to gain some value mm-hmm. from your message. And you know I think Doug to your to your point about really understanding your audience, um, that becomes the you know the, the difference between don't go out on, a, on stage with a message to communicate. Go out on stage with a mission to connect. Mm-hmm. That connection with the audience, um, you know, And it doesn't matter what your talking points were. I always used to get tripped up by, oh, I forgot to mention this You know, bullet on that slide. No one else can see your notes. No one Nobody else knows, knows what it was that you were gonna yeah. say, right? Um, and so it's not about memorizing your content. It's not about hitting every bullet on your PowerPoint slide. It's about really embracing why you're standing in front of them to begin with, accepting the fact you earned the right to be there and then focusing on making a connection with and for your audience.
0: Yeah. And in, in addition to that, by the way, just everything I'm, I totally agree with everything that both of you just said there. Um, but one of the things that, that um, I wanted to kind of chat with you guys about was how you can use this new confidence, or if you're feeling that nervousness, you do it anyway. And, you know, eventually as you start to develop the skill, the nervousness kind of goes down, but that, communication, especially standing up in front of a group or using, you know, Zoom uh, um, seminars or something like that. Those are all ways that people can kind of market themselves and they can, they can promote themselves and kind of create their, their own kind of personal brand that, that may be a little different than what their image is in their head. You know, a lot of times the image that we have in our head of who we are doesn't necessarily match what other people see us as, you know. So uh, it's funny. I, we were we, uh, one of my um, instructors was coaching somebody just recently, and she was she was saying that this lady is a, a really high level security expert at one of the big um, IT platforms. I mean, one that everybody uses all the time, kind of thing, right? And uh, and high level. I mean, really high level. And she she's nervous and so the the coach was kind of saying she 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 was in a meeting and uh on on zoom and had that little internal thing in her head where where she was saying god maybe i'm not the expert on this and and she said that you know one of the things that was so helpful to her was that she could hear her coach's he- voice in her head saying snap out of it. You are the expert. <laughs> They're here to hear you. They want yeah. to hear you. There's nobody else that could be doing this meeting other than you. Right. And, and that's kind of that, that, that once I think people kind of get to the point where they have that, that confidence in themselves, then they can start working on, you know, that, that personal brand and everything. So, so tell us about, tell us about y'all's background on, on branding and how to create that that image that we really want in the in the marketplace.
2: Well, it's funny because in 2018, I wrote my first book called Powerful Personal Brands, A Hands-On Guide to Understanding Yours. And the reason I wrote it is because I do a lot of mentoring at the university level. It's teaching people how to interview skill, how to develop their personal brand, how to network properly. And most of these kids are so smart Right. And have no idea how to articulate their value in a, in a cohesive way. They, they truly don't. Your brand is not who you think it, you are. It's how people perceive you when you're not in the room. You know, nod to Jeff Bezos for, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but, you know, it's all about being who you are, saying what you mean and meaning what you say. And your brand is built on consistency, It's 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 building trust with the people that you can truly influence and understand that ninety nine percent of the people in the world, you'll probably never be able to influence. Right. You know, you seven point five billion people in the world. We can't be loved by everybody and we need to all embrace that. Oh, but we still want to, though. Oh, we all do. We all (laughs) want to be loved by everybody, you know, and we all have this under, you know, overwhelming need to be loved by everybody. And, And I tell people, stop it. Truly stop it, because you know what? I will guarantee you every time I'm on the stage, every time I do a Zoom call, every time I do, you know, a big event, there will be somebody in the room who hates me. There will be there. The the law of averages are there. You can't you can't. You know, be amazing to everybody. It's impossible. There's somebody who's having a bad day. There's somebody who's got something else on their mind. There's somebody who came into the room expecting one thing and got another. You know, there's, there's people that, that just, you know, disagree vehemently with what you have to say and they're just going to sit there with their arms crossed through, through the entire presentation. You can't worry about it because your job right there is to influence the people that you can influence, and that's your brand. And I think that people who sit there and say, I've got to be loved by everybody need to take a step back and say, I need to be loved by people that know, like, and trust me. And I need to be worthy of that, of that love. And I think that that's, that's what we need to do. And we always need to say, I may not know. And if I don't know, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not sure or I don't know. Let me get back to you. It's far better than trying to be all knowing and and all wise to everyone.
1: You know, and this is and this is where the value of really knowing your niche uh, or niche comes in, right? Uh, at, you know, as a brand, as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, um, one of one of the lessons that all of us who are in the entrepreneurial space had to come to understand was exactly Ben's point. We if you try to be all things to all people, you are going to have such a generic vanilla offering or brand um, that you're not truly going to make an impact on anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a as a public speaker, as someone who has to go into a meeting and deliver a message, it's the same thing and it's not only understanding what your unique niche is. There is this concept of authenticity that people really need to embrace, right? So it's it's not about being so familiar with your content that you can, you know, recite it without looking at your notes. It's about truly being in touch with your truth. And what I mean by that is you need to know not the subject matter, but what you believe. Because then when you stand up there and you've got the haters in the room or the critics in the room or the people that are having a bad day and don't quite align with your message, that's not who you are trying to reach. And those people will not throw you off your game if you're authentic and if you truly believe in what you're communicating and that's really, you know, the, the, the key to successful speaking, right. Is not, is not knowing your content cold. It's believing in the message that you're trying to deliver.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Uh, I, well, tell us about the, the book and what happened. Um, Cause this is just a few months right in the middle of, of the whole COVID crisis. You guys, are brainstorming and figuring things out, and you're like, "Wow, some of these things that I've kind of figured out might be helpful to other people that are going through the same thing." I'm assuming, anyway, right? I mean, well, the, we hope we
2: hope so. I mean, this was a Harry <laughs> met Sally moment. It, it truly was. We've never truly met. You know, oh wow, Claire, Claire I and I. Yeah, we've on, never physically I, met. You wrote we have an never an physically book met together,
0: and you've never. We wrote a book together. We have review. never
2: physically met. We have never been within that six feet COVID relationship of each other. You know, I mean, you know, Claire's in New Jersey. I'm up, I'm up in Vancouver, Canada. We were introduced through a mutual friend of ours that said, you know what? You two need to get to know each other. You're going to get along famously. And the truth of the matter is we do. It was great. We, we had these initial two or three Zoom conversations that should have been 20 minutes and probably went an hour. Um, and we we realized that we were very simpatico, and after about two or three of these meetings, I said to Claire, "We got to put this thing on tape." You know, I mean, I've been a podcaster for years, and I'm sitting there going, there, "There's gold in them, in our hills," and, and and we created a twelve week pod mini podcast talking about where leadership should be thinking about because you know, when we first started. Clarinard's attitude is everybody was thinking, okay, COVID's just going to be a few weeks. It's going to be an yeah. inconvenience. It's going to be a few weeks. Not a big deal. Everybody stays home. Maybe they stay home for a month and we're going to go back to the way things are. And obviously over the 12 weeks that we did, we came to realize that this is not a short term, you know, play. And we started really realizing that people have to sit there and say, look, yes, you need to take care of your people absolutely you need to take care of your people you need to take care of the here and now but if you don't have one eye on the horizon you're going to be in serious trouble and at the end of 12 weeks we looked at each other we you know we uh, transcribed the 12 episodes and we realized that we had really the shell of, a, of an amazing book and it really is it's a transcription of of our 12 episodes It's been edited down for, you know, for value. We've taken a question at the end of each chapter and left, what, about eight or ten lines at the end of each chapter for you to write your own ideas down. So it really has that workbook feel to be able to enable leaders to survive not only this crisis, but future crises as well.
0: Nice. Well, tell us, tell us about yeah. some of the gems that are in this. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Claire.
1: No, I was just going to, I was just going to briefly add to that, you know, as, as Ben kind of outlined the journey, it, it, it truly at first, we, you know, we didn't set out to write a book. We didn't even set out to have a 12 part uh, video and podcast series. It, it literally started out as we're in lockdown. A lot of our clients are in lockdown. Our audience is in lockdown. Let's have some conversations on video and audio that will you know, keep them company mm-hmm. for the couple of months that this was going to impact our lives, right? And so, as, as Ben said, a couple of months turned into a couple of, of you know, uh, excuse me, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months and now might be a couple of years, right? Um, and even as we wrapped up the 12 weeks, we said, this is really useful. Let's you know, put this out on YouTube and make it available to people And then when we put it into the, you know, we decided to translate it into a book because we realized the shelf life of the messages in there and the lessons to leaders, not just about surviving COVID, but surviving the next crisis and the next crisis after that, um, were so transferable and so sustainable that they were going to live on, which is why we ended up putting them into a book.
0: Nice. Well, so, OK, so now you got every that was a great lead in because now
2: everybody's kind of chomping at the bit, saying, OK, tell me what what's, what's, in, it? What? what's in it? What is what's this? In what's in it? Right. So, For 1995 on Amazon, <laughs> you two can find that. No, OK, <laughs> now,
0: give, give them a few uh, a few of the gems. Give give the listeners a, a few of the gems that are that are in the book. What are some of the things that you guys figured out that you can kind of pass along to some of us that are still kind of going through that struggle right now?
1: Yeah, I, I I'm happy to 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 take that one first. Um, you know, one of the things just sort of dovetailing off of what we were talking about is this concept of of authenticity, mm-hmm. right? And that leaders really um, truly need to understand that, as Ben says all the time, leadership is not a job title, right? Um, and too many people fall into that trap. They aspire to leadership because of the trappings that come with the office rather than truly understanding that leadership is a commitment and an obligation. It's not a reward for past accomplishments. Um, you know, your your challenge and your um, scope of accountability becomes greater once you are put in charge of of leading others. And it's important again not to become masters of some business book content, but truly be authentic to the to the unique type of leader that you are. Play to your strengths. And one of the key pearls of that authenticity, which we talk about quite a bit in the book, is this concept of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Too often, leaders who are leaders in name only say, I can't show vulnerability. I can't admit to the people around me, let alone the people who report to me, that I don't have all the answers because they will see that as weakness. And in fact, the opposite is true. Right? And so what we talk about in the book is the fact that if ever you were waiting for an opportunity to admit that you don't know everything and all the answers, here comes COVID, which none of us have totally figured out. And especially when we started to have these conversations, right? So if you were waiting for an opportunity to admit that you don't have all the answers and you don't know everything, which by the way, your people already knew that about you, now <laughs> is the perfect opportunity to practice vulnerability and get really authentically good at it.
0: Right. I I can remember right at the early. I mean, for being in the training business, basically, this is what I do. I mean, I get hired to go out and speak. I have a team of people that get hired to go out and speak at big meetings. That's basically what we get paid to do. And and, um, I guess it was probably February mid-February or so of, of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we started getting a few of our clients that had booked us for, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, you know, that all of a sudden we started getting some some uh, contacts from them saying, hey, you know what, let's just, we're, we might have to postpone, right? And so and postponing, that's not really that big of a deal, but then by mid-March, all of a sudden, that's when folks say, hey, we've got to cancel our meeting and we have to cancel. So the, for 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 those of you who are listening who don't understand this particular industry that 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 Claire and Ben and I are talking about, um, you know, if you happen to be in a you know own a, own a a restaurant, people are talking about how hard the restaurant industry's got got killed in, in COVID. You guys can still open. You can still do carryout and stuff like that, right? You didn't have to give anything back. Whereas, like at the very beginning of the of the whole COVID crisis, not only were we did our income go away. We were actually giving back income from things that had been booked for some of them years. I mean, Mm -hmm. a a year out. Right. So so um, for so when you when you kind of hear about recovery and and things um, from from folks like the three folks who are on this call right now, uh, it's a it's a pretty dramatic thing. So and I remember at the very beginning, going back to what you were talking about, Claire very beginning of that i'm i'm in a meeting with all of my folks and and uh, at the the second week of, of march and saying hey this is this could actually get pretty bad guys we're you know we might have to batten down the hatches here and then the next week i'm going there's a good chance i'm gonna have to start laying people off at that mm-hmm. at this point right so i mean that's that's how it, it, it was changing in a matter of you know 24 hour periods and and i could tell that everybody was kind of looking at me going okay doug what are we going to do and i'm like <laughs> I have no clue. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. This is new. Nobody knows what to do in this thing. Right. Yeah. And and it wasn't until I did, took your advice Claire, and, and kind of said, okay, I Doug does not have all the answers. Yeah. I've done some really cool things, but I didn't get here by myself. I have, I have a really good team of folks who are really smart and, uh, and this is all brand new and we're going to have to try to figure it out. And there were, I, I would say about half of, of the folks that are on my team, were in that same kind of mentality saying hey what we've always done is not going to work and it was weird because the the whole other half of our staff was going but what we do is really really good and we're like nobody wants what we do right now <laughs> so it doesn't matter if we're really good at it we have to yeah. go some other direction and and it wasn't until i got you know that that group of folks that were kind of like minded with me that we could bat ideas back and forth across each other and i didn't have to come up with all the answers that's when we started to come up with some things that were really revolutionary and every crisis is an opportunity right so
1: yeah, and, and Doug, I think that the, the, the transparency that you demonstrated there, right, by, by opening up, um, you know, the, the circus tent, if you will, and revealing to your employees that you didn't have all the answers and, you know, were about to embark on some difficult decisions. Um, by being that transparent, those conversations that inevitably had to happen about cutting back and potentially letting some people go become easier. They're never super easy to, to tell somebody they're out of a job, mm-hmm. but they become easier because they're less of a surprise. Um, before I worked in, in human resources in, in corporate, I worked in, in communications. And there was a time when you know, we were in a very stable industry in a very well-established company, but the economy was such, and this is many years ago, that it went through one of those down cycles. And so we were forced, we had an overall corporate communications department of 12 people. And we had to cut back and only keep four. And we knew that it was coming, we knew that it was inevitable, but we we knew we had a little bit of a of a runway. And you know, I I managed a a subset of that group, you know, and I sat down with them as, as soon as I could, as soon as I knew that this was going to be coming eventually. And I said, listen, there there are some things that are going to happen. I don't have all the information yet. Some of the information I do have, I can't disclose to you. But here's what I do know. We're going to have to make some of these decisions. But for now, here's what I want you to focus on. And we're going to be about staying focused, being committed, and being precise in what we do. And because those conversations happened day after day and week after week, when I did have to come back around and make those hard choices about who could stay and who had to go, they were still difficult as hell. I mean, don't don't let anyone delude you that those conversations are, are they're awful Easy.
2: conversations to They're
1: awful conversations, but when you've been open along the way, you know, it's, it's the same concept as performance management, right? When you've got that two-way dialogue throughout the year about expectations and feedback, you know, to make course corrections and to praise, uh, you, you know, results and all of that, then when you do that year-end review, it's not a surprise party, yeah. you know, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just becomes a culmination of the conversations that you had up until that point.
2: And to take that to a different step is just I, I heard a couple stories and these these are amazing stories of CEOs that sit there and say, Look, we've got five hundred, eight hundred employees. We're gonna need to make cuts somewhere. And instead of sitting there going, Okay, we're gonna cut thirty percent of our of our staff, they had one on one conversations with every employee says, Look, can you take a hit? Right. You know, and the question is how much? And they were able to sit there and say, "Okay, this person cut ten percent, this person cut ten five percent. this person would you know happen to you know have other income sources and was able to take fifteen percent and they were able to make the cuts that they needed without having to let anybody go nice and what that what that did was they built a loyalty within that team. That will be with them for years and years to come because they looked at a different creative solution. Not to say everybody is gonna get hit for 10%. We're gonna sit there and say, can you take 10%? If oh, you can only take 8%? Okay, let's figure this out. And he as a CEO took, you know, took a hit, his executive team took a hit, you know, everybody took a hit. And what they did is they sit there and say, what's manageable? And you know, by working with the team and being able to do that and communicating along the way, not who took how much and you know, for, for how long, but saying, Hey, listen, we're all in this together and together we're all gonna come through this because we're now gonna be able to work stronger as a team and we've got now got the runway to make sure nobody's gonna lose their job. Yeah everybody was on board and everybody rolled up their sleeves and everybody worked harder and everybody did what they could to make sure that the business thrived. So it's, it's looking at at businesses creatively and not just saying, okay, we got a cut. It's sitting there going, okay, let's work with our team and figure out are there efficiencies that we didn't even know about? You know, are there things that we can do and be able to sit there and say, well, we really don't need four skids of paper we only need two. Right. Okay, well, two skids of paper at you know forty bucks. Forty bucks a box times forty bucks. You know that's that's some money. You know, all of a sudden, wait a second, we're not mailing everything out anymore. All our stamp costs are gone because we were able to put everybody on electronic transfer. You know, there's little things that everybody can do and sit there and say, "How can I make my little department more effective?" and be able to make the, the business more, you know, thrive. So right. it's a matter of working with your people and assuming you don't know everything and just say, well, I'm just going to cut these 13 people f- because that's the easy way of handling it.
1: Yeah. You know, what's, and- what's important about that example too, in that particular company is that they couldn't have that conversation with their people to ask how much can you cut back at least for a short term, if they had not built up equity before that crisis hit absolutely right? so you know company x can quote unquote get away with that because they've built up equity that they that they can draw from in terms of the culture that they've built and the leadership that they've modeled company y can't turn around and just emulate that because their employees are going to say yet again you're coming to us to ask for something back or you're asking for us to do you know more with less and you haven't earned the right to ask for that type of, of you know shared commitment to a solution to a common problem. So I, I love that story, Ben, not because a company had to get to that point to ask that of its people, but because their willingness to come in and bend a little bit really reflected the fact that that leadership group had built up in their culture an equity of sharing the prize and sharing the pain. Right.
2: Well, it's, it's the mathematical formula It's really simple people plus purpose equals profit you know if if you take a look and you take care of your people first and everybody understands the purpose and lives it as an actual organization the profits come but if all you are is focused on profit whether that be top end dollar bottom dollar whatever it is and you're willing to sacrifice your purpose and you're willing to sacrifice your people all you are is a commodity that's easily forgotten and easily replaced
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, um, going back to that example that I was giving you, Claire, um, the, that wasn't my first conversation. <laughs> it's it like, right. oh, Doug, he's really smart. He figured that out right at the beginning. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah. no. That yeah. was like the 12th conversation after we, okay, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, let's try this. Okay, God, that didn't work. No, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. Let's try yeah. Yeah. Oh, Okay. yeah. And it well, was know, like, OK, for, OK, team, I'm out of ideas. Oh, wait, right, I got a right. really good idea. Oh, my God. Yeah. that's it's a really good one. Why didn't we do that first? You never asked. Right. So,
1: you know, and it's important for leaders who, who hear that story. Um, if they've never done that sort of inclusive leadership before, not to write this off and say it's too late for me. Right. What's what's the the Chinese proverb? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second yeah, best sure. time is today. today. Right. So, you know, leaders who are who are listening to this conversation and saying, yeah, but I have I haven't done anything to build up equity. Um, so, I you know, I really can't do anything with this. Sure, you can. You can start now and your people will notice because your people are like your kids. They observe and they pick up and they hear more than you think they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are going to model what you what you demonstrate. So, if you haven't built up that equity, of course, it's not too late. For as long as your doors are open as a business, as long as you, uh, you know, embrace the role as a leader, it's never too late to start to build up that equity.
2: Yeah, you know. And another thing about this book is a rant that I did, and this is this is the rant where I get up on the soapbox and I will yell this from the top of my lungs for as long as I can because too many companies have mission, vision, value statements written on a wall or printed in a book or whatever that mean nothing. Right. They, you know, they went on these retreats, they cr- created all these wonderful statements and nobody lives it and nobody remembers it. And nobody is actually believes in it because they're told to you once and they're sitting there, Oh, well, I told them what the mission statement is. They obviously know what it is. But if you have an organization where you have senior leadership all the way down to the people that sweep the floors and everywhere in between that understand your purpose, understand your culture, understand what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it, that's an organization that is going to succeed. But the ones that just sit there and put these lofty statements up on a board that mean nothing and nobody cares about, you know, those are the organizations that quickly become the commodities. Yeah, we we set a, um, a back pre pre
0: COVID anyway we set this really audacious goal to quadruple revenue in four years. I mean that was like I mean, we wanted to that was I mean that's that's some pretty serious kind of growth, right? And so I knew that okay I built a pretty good structured company. You know the structure of the company is pretty good. It could be better, right? And so um, I, I was doing as much research as I could. You, you guys can can tell me if I if I did this the right way um but, but i i knew that the the team that i had as good as my team is we were going to need help we weren't going to be able to do that by ourselves so we were going to have to either bring people in or there might be a, a an a, a place where somebody gets moved to a new position or maybe even lay people off as we're in that in that growth spurt right and um since since i had never actually set i mean i've set goals before but i had never done anything like this i started doing some research and And it said, uh, one of the books that I read kind of said that one of the things I should do is um, measure the success or the the value of the people that are on my team based on the values that we have, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, those value things. Yeah. And I went back to my website. been up there for you can still go and they're still there right go to leadersinstitute.com and you can look at them the, the the core values and I and I just kind of listed those out and I said okay i and and I went through every single team member every single person on my team and I rated them on like a like a, um, a high school letter grade like an a b c d e f you know not, not e, a b c d f right and um, it was pretty eye-opening and so after I did it I had um, my administrative assistant and I had my BPSLs kind of do the same thing. And we were all pretty consistent. It was very, very easy to kind of see who was going to help us hit that next growth level based on kind of doing it that way. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to do it, but it was really eye-opening. It was like, and it, and it also gave me a... Uh, Claire's laughing at me because it's like, that's HR 101, Doug, you no. idiot. You should have <laughs> no, done no,
1: that in the no, beginning. And- well, no, my, no, my no. big question <laughs> is. Hey, I'm going to comment on that.
2: <laughs> yeah. My big question is, who rated you? Yeah, everybody. They all did. They Yeah. They, and that's important. It, it, you yeah. know, it, it, it's good for you to rate everybody else. And and it's rating really not everybody, not on the fact that they are an F or they are or, or a D or, or an A or a C, it's sitting there going, okay, now that we have this information, are these people coachable? Can we, it, are these people that we can help and we can mentor and we can inspire and we can train in order to bring them back up so they understand our mission, our vision, our purpose? Or are these people that are not congruent with our, with our values? And that's where the dichotomy has to be, is to yeah. sit there and say, you know, Okay, this person doesn't understand what they need to do. Was that a training issue, or is that a is that a moral issue, or is that you know is that a personality issue? Mm-hmm. And being able to sit there and say, what do we do with it now? Because it's like judging you know your salespeople strictly based on whether they you know they're the number one salesperson, number two salesperson, the number three salesperson. Well, guess what? You could be the number one salesperson because you've been there the longest. Everybody bought you know before you quit or retired, you ended up taking over territory and you ended up getting all the flush accounts and right. all you're doing is babysitting them. Doesn't right. mean you're a good salesperson, just means that you've outlasted everybody. Right. Where somebody else could be in number three position, but they're growing their territory 20%, you know, 20% a year. So it's a matter of sitting there going, what are the criteria that we're using in order to be able to make sure that we have the right people on board and we, everybody, is understands what's expected of them moving forward.
1: Nice. And, and Doug, I think it's mm-hmm. a it's a hallmark of you as a leader um, that you not only pulled those values back from the website and, and kind of refreshed your memory. You know, call call it yourself. You know, realizing that it had been a while since you had revisited them, but they didn't. You didn't just stop there. You know, you didn't stop at refamiliarizing yourself. You looked at those and you use those as a filter for evaluating the contributions and the fit of the people on your team. And you went beyond that even, and you, you invited the people on your team to give you feedback and evaluate the level to which you demonstrate those values. And a true leader does that. A true leader creates an environment where feedback in multiple directions is not just encouraged it is freely and willingly given because people know there are no negative consequences to speaking their mind. Right. Um, you know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a saying, and I forget the, um, the leadership gurus who said it, but, you know, it's, and I, I quote it often, a mission pulls you, excuse me, a mission pushes you, your vision pulls you, but your values keep you from veering off the road. And so, you know, if your mission and your vision are, are kind of part of your what and your why, right, why, why your, your business is in, is in business, it's the values that you want to evaluate everybody against, right? It's how they are doing their job. So, you know, if, if they're, Ben, to your, to your point, if they're hitting their numbers every, every week or every month or every quarter, but they're an absolute jerk and they don't contribute to the, the, to the combined or shared success of the team… Is that really who you want to reward and advance and retain? And I would suspect the answer is no. So, you know, coming back to those values time and again and using those as your consistent filter, um, you know, really are the hallmarks of of leadership and it's what's going to keep you moving in the right direction toward that horizon that you've identified, that, you know, that four times your revenue in four years as an example.
2: Right. And, yeah. and like
0: I'd like to say I like I totally stick to that, but I have to I have to keep falling. <laughs> but then go, yeah, why did I, we 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 all do. I got to go back and do what, oh yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Here's the the
1: thing you have to remember as a, as a leader. And again, your people know this about you, right? You're human. And because you're human, you're flawed. And because you're flawed, you're not perfect and you don't have all the answers and you don't do everything the right way. But if you embrace your humanity, if you embrace the fact that you're imperfect, that you're flawed, that you're vulnerable, your people are going to love you for it. So when you're going through a bad time or you've got to make some tough decisions, if you're human about it, your people are far more likely to understand, embrace and contribute to where you wanna go and the decisions you have to make.
0: And I, that's a great way to kind of come full circle because we're just almost almost out of time here. But if you, if you think about it, everything that you just said there in the last few minutes are, it's not only true about us as leaders within our organization, but it's also true of us as speakers when we're communicating. The more authentic Absolutely. we are, the more that the the more vulnerable that we are, the more that people see us as a human being, not as that that speaker. You know, sometimes folks will kind of see um, folks in the audience will see people up on stage and go, "Man, that person really has it all figured out." And in reality, most of the time, it's just that we have knowledge that needs to be imparted to a wider group of people and we're the mechanism to do that you know basically and once we realize that we we don't have to be perfect (laughs) we don't it doesn't matter if we flub our words it doesn't matter if we say things the wrong way it doesn't matter if we don't hold our hands just right or any of that kind of stuff all that stuff just kind of goes by the wayside because now we've communicated effectively right that's That's right. right i mean there's
2: a million things that i'm stupid about (laughs) <laughs> there truly are. I mean, there, there, really are. There are a million things. I mean, I, I watch my son, who's getting ready to head into you know engineering, and I look at the mathematics stuff that he does, and I, you know, I thought that I was pretty smart in mathematics. I look at his text. I don't even know. I don't even know what language it is. Right. But that's not my jam. You know, and, and we all, as leaders and as people, whatever, realize that there are things that we are really good at. And there's things that we're not. And we need to sit there and say both are okay. You know, we don't need to be experts in everything. We don't even need to be interested in everything. You know, and I think that our our lives will be so much better when we start, you know, being passionate about things instead of beating ourselves up about the things that we're just not passionate or we're just not good at.
0: So one more time in closing, tell the audience the uh, name of the mini podcast that you guys did that, that the book is based on. Then tell them how to get your book.
2: So, Claire, the, the name of the book is called Leading, Be- Leading Beyond a Crisis, a conversation about what's next. And you, the, can get that uh, off, and you can get that available on,
1: on Amazon. Uh, available on Amazon. Actually,
2: you can you can really get it anywhere you want. It's available at Chapters. It's at Indigo. Any anywhere that you want, you can you can go in. You can order it. They may not have it in stock, but they can they can certainly order it and have it shipped to you. I'll totally and I'll link to that in the
1: version. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Doug. There's a there's a paperback version and an ebook version. Um, so, however, people prefer to uh, to get the book.
0: Very good. All right. Well, thanks a lot for the, for the two of you to be on the uh, the podcast. So enjoyed the discussion. Looking forward to having you back sometime in the near future. Thanks, guys. Okay,
1: thanks for having thanks, us. Thanks, Doug.
0: Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.